Hello and welcome. Welcome to Trust Thinking Podcast. We are live at the G3 conference, the national 2021 National G3 conference, and I'm here with my brother. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Omahe? Easy. <laughs> my man. Bro, that was, that was like butter, bro. I'm home, bro. I'm home. This is my hometown, man. I had to make it sound nice. You did, man. You did. A couple of times, though, brother, it was a little... It was, man. Uh, a little choky there little, in the last couple of episodes yeah, yeah, because yeah. it had been a while, man. You know, right. if you don't keep the vocal cords uh, probably, you know, probably, probably lubricated, lubricated and hydrated yeah. and everything, it gets kind of rough there, man. It could get kind of rough. Well, man, we've got a, a lot of ground to cover. I'm trying to make sure I can, I can see the, the clock. I know it's, it's going to be ticking and we're going to... We're, I mean, we're used to a three-and-a-half-hour, two-and-a-half-hour podcast, but I know we stand between this incredible audience and, and lunch, and so we've got a lot of ground to cover. We're not, we're not well, going to be two we're gonna, hours. We're going to feed them before they get fed. I, come on, man. That's how we come do it. We're going to feed them before they get fed. That's what I'm talking about. One of the things that I, I want to mention up front, the two things really quickly before we dive in. The first is that if you have not had an opportunity to check out the Just just thinking about the state, our brand new book. You can check that out. It's here for sale. We're, we're excited to be able to sign it. I think Daryl will be at the, at the booth right after, some, shortly after this. I'll be there a little bit later, but man, we would love to meet you. It's been an amazing experience getting a chance to, to meet you all in person and interact with you. We've been blessed by that. The second thing that I want to mention uh, is that really with regard to G3, Prior to anyone else inviting us on a stage or to share a platform, it was Dr. Josh Bice who asked us to uh, be on the G3 platform to, to give a, a live podcast. So will y'all give a round of applause for that? Uh, I, I get the joy of, of working with Josh Bice on a regular basis, and man, I'm telling you, he's the real deal. Uh, and it is a joy to, to come under the umbrella 
of G3 Ministries and the like. And so I love what he, I love his intro, which basically said that, you know, we, 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 aren't, we aren't here to entertain. Uh, you may find what we do entertaining, and we're, we're glad about that, but you know we come uh, ready to roll up our sleeves and get engaged in the un, unadulterated truth and, uh, and really handle the Word of God. So it's with that, man. Uh, I just wanted to announce those two things. Go to the Founders uh, booth, or Founders, uh, rather, press up there and, and grab one of their, uh, grab one of your uh, book, Just Thinking About the State. Uh, and, and then we're, I think we're, besides that, and, and Daryl will be at the booth, at our booth, at the Just Thinking booth for signatures. I'll be there a little bit later. I've got a few more duties and assignments to handle. Yeah, so first, before we dive into our topic uh, today, I just, I'm, you know, I'm looking out into the audience right now, and Virgil and I, before we came out, we were just reminiscing uh, together back to December 2017 when we actually um, released our very first episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, and Virgil just was sharing, me, sharing with me how he recorded that first episode. He was literally in a closet in his house uh, with his laptop on his, knee, on his lap. He's holding the mic in his hand, and I'm in a, a little corner of a room in my home just east of here, and now here we are. The reason we're here, obviously notwithstanding God's grace and mercy upon this ministry, is because of all of you who Absolutely. listen to the Just Thinking Podcast. Absolutely. So we want to just Absolutely. applaud all of you, and thank you for listening uh, to the podcast. Yeah. So we're here today at the 2021 National G3 Conference to talk about the Antichrist of Black Liberation Theology. And for those of you who are familiar with the Just Thinking Podcast, you know that we don't shy away from any topic. Uh, we're not scared. Uh, we are, are totally uh, uh, convinced that Scripture is sufficient yes. to address every single issue of life, the society, and culture. And we think no differently about the topic we're going to discuss with you today. And I want to get started by uh, kicking us off, Verge, by saying in the book, uh, in the book titled Think Biblically, Recovering a Christian Worldview by John MacArthur and the Masters University faculty. In that book, Dr. Brian K. Morley, professor of philosophy and apologetics at the Masters University, said the following in the chapter titled, Understanding Our Postmodern World. So I'm quoting, think biblically, recovering a Christian, uh, Christian worldview, and the chapter titled, Understanding Our Postmodern World. And in that chapter, Dr. Brian K. Morley says this, quote, a Western apologist once visited a tribal area of Africa and conducted an elaborate seminar for Christians on how to prove the existence of God. Afterwards, a person came up and complimented him on his presentation, but added politely that no one in that part of Africa doubted that God exists. What they wanted to know was which God to serve. The visitor meant well, but failed to understand the specific spiritual questions being asked by that particular culture. The more one understands about people's ideas, the better one can communicate the truth of Scripture and the gospel to them. But not enough Christians put much effort into understanding the culture in which they live. New believers who come into, please listen to this, this is very important. Dr. Moeller says, new believers who come into the church bring their worldviews with them. Yes. Furthermore, those Christians already in the church who do not understand worldview issues will not realize when they are embracing non-Christian concepts." Unquote. That was Dr. Brian K. Morley from the book, Think Biblically, Recovering a Christian Worldview. Now, 
verse, I consider those words by Dr. Morley to be both pertinent and germane to the topic we're discussing in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast because black liberation theology, though perhaps not normally subsumed under the broader category of postmodernism, is at best a, quote, non-Christian concept, unquote, as Dr. Morley said, and at worst, it is a heretical false gospel. But I don't want our discourse on this subject to merely rest on what some might interpret as a subjective assertion on our part. Right. So why don't you take a few moments, man, to do two things. Number one, explain for us what black liberation theology is by definition at its most fundamental level. And then two, explain why black liberation theology is a false gospel. Absolutely. Now, this is what's kind of problematic about trying to cover all of this ground in such a short amount of time. Uh, I'm tempted to walk back through the origins of liberation theology with men like Gustavo Gutierrez, uh, Jose Comblin, uh, Leonardo Boff. And in the same way, let me say it this way, in the same way that critical race theory mm -hmm. circa eight, uh, 1980 uh, has its origins in critical theory mm -hmm. from the 1930s by way of the Frankfurt School, black liberation theology of the late uh, 1960s, 1970s has its roots in liberation theology, which began a decade earlier in uh, Latin America. So let me be clear, in the same way that CRT has its origins in critical race theory, uh, black liberation theology has its origins in liberation theology. So those are, those are two things to actually keep in mind. It, it's important to note that, that the fruit of these false ideologies actually stem from the same cancerous root, if you will. So those are kinds of things that are important to think about. As we always do, man, we define terms mm -hmm. on the Just Thinking podcast. And I, I like the way you kind of teed that up to say, this isn't about our personal assertions mm -hmm. about, these, about this subject matter. As we always do on the Just Thinking podcast, we really want to unpack what did those who are advocating the position actually mean by what they said. And so it's with that that, that I want to I go back, before we jump headlong into the father of black liberation theology, which is Dr. James Cone, I want to begin by defining black liberation theology in the terms that the public would have learned about it in 1960, when the National Committee of Black Churchmen would be, in part, responsible for exposing the public to black theology. Brother, you know this incredibly well. You know this, this particular quote that I'm going to use incredibly well, because you actually teed this up on a previous episode that we talked about. The Committee of Black Churchmen, which, comp which comprises approximately 300 men from a variety of ecumenical and ecclesiastical backgrounds, they, 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 they wrote this particular statement and published it uh, in, in news media of the day so that, those would un so that others would understand what black liberation theology was. So they say this, quote, for us, black theology is a theology of black liberation. It seeks to plumb the black condition in light of God's revelation in Jesus Christ, so that the black community can see the gospel is commensurate with the achievement of black humanity. Black theology is a theology of blackness. Those are important things to keep in mind. It is the affirmation of, of black humanity that, em, and that emancipates black people from white racism, thus providing authentic freedom for both white and black people, end quote. Mm -hmm. So this is their definition of what black theology, particularly black liberation theology, actually is. 
in case there's any misunderstanding about what was meant by a statement like this, the father of black liberation theology, and I know you're going to quote quite a bit from him as we continue through our time together. His name is Dr. James Cone, the father of black liberation theology, Dr. James Cone, would write an article titled uh, Christianity and Black Power. And in that article, Cone writes the following, quote, Jesus's death on the cross. I want you to listen closely to this quote. He says, Jesus's death on the cross represents God's boundless solidarity with victims, even unto death. Jesus's resurrection is the good news that, is that, that there is new life for the poor that is not determined by their poverty, but overcomes it, end quote. Now, the second thing that you asked me to do by way, first we gave definitions, and those definitions, again, are based not upon our own assertions, yep. but on the, the words and writings of those who advocate these kinds of positions. The second thing that you wanted me to do is to explain why black liberation theology provides a false gospel, why black liberation theology provides a false gospel. Well, there's actually no, gospel means good news, mm -hmm. and there's actually no good news in black liberation mm -hmm. theology. Everything is backwards, Great point. right? Oppression is freedom. Victim, uh, victimhood is life-giving. Self-righteousness is champion. They have a false anthropology. They have a false harmardiology. They have a false soteriology. They have a false Christology. They have a false ecclesiology. And all of these things can be demonstrated scripturally, not based upon our own assertions. This is not the basis of our opinion. This is not the, the way that I see things, but this is on the basis of, of the words that, of those who promote the ideology and what we can examine based upon those words through the lens of scripture. I'll, I'll finally say this, brother, and I'll turn it back to you. Black liberation theology is a false gospel with a false Christ. And as our title states, the Christ of black liberation theology is an antichrist. You know, I wanna provide, um verse some additional contextual support to what you just said by quoting from the book titled The Black Christ by Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas. Again, the book is titled The Black Christ by Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas. If you're not familiar with who Kelly Brown Douglas is, Douglas is Dean of Episcopal Divinity School and is the Bill and Judith Moyers Chair in Theology at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, arguably the most liberal seminary, if it could even be called a seminary, in America. In The Black Christ, Kelly Brown Douglas writes this, quote, as a young girl, it was Jesus's birth in a manger that held the most meaning for me. That he was born in the starkness of a manger allowed me to feel connected to him as a child. His birth in a manger convinced me that he understood the struggles, if not the hopes and dreams of black children who were trapped in, quote, manger-like, unquote, condi conditions of living. Jesus' birth in a manger continues to have theological significance for me as it indicates his intrinsic bond with those on the outside, that is, on the wrong side of the color line. Inasmuch as the cross reflects the crucifying realities of a white supremacist culture. Did you hear that? Yeah. This is Kelly Brown Douglas. Inasmuch as the cross reflects the crucifying realities of a white supremacist culture, the blackness of Christ is about more than a white-black color line. Rather, it is about the color line of white supremacy. 
In this regard, Christ's blackness indicates his deep and personal identification with people of color as they suffer the pain, heartache, and death exacted on them by the insidiousness of white supremacist culture. And so, we might paraphrase the gospel question for today this way, quoting Kelly Brown Douglas still, but Lord, where did we see you dying on the cross? And Jesus would answer, quote, on a Florida sidewalk with Trayvon Martin, or at the U.S.-Mexican border with an immigrant who was refused asylum, or in a detention center with a brown child separated from his or her parents, or in a juvenile court with the black child trapped in the poverty to prison pipeline. As you did to one of the least of these, you did it to me, unquote. That was Kelly Brown Douglas again from the book, The Black Christ. Now, Omaha, as theologically problematic as those words from Kelly Brown Douglas are, they are nevertheless very much representative, representative of the Christology upon which black liberation theology is built. Right. It is a Christology that posits Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who, according to the Nicene Creed, was begotten, not made, as some kind of societal liberator, particularly of black people, from the temporal bondage of their white oppressors. Right. And that Christology is born from a theology which, contrary to such biblical texts as Genesis 6-5, Ecclesiastes 7-20, and Romans 3-23, which teach that sin is a universal reality for all of humanity. In black liberation theology, the only true sin is the sin of being white. Right, right. Now, such was the Christology of the man who you alluded to just a few moments ago, who is regarded as the father or founder of black liberation theology, namely the late Dr. James Hal Cohn. James Cohn, like Kelly Brown Douglas, was once the Bill and Judas Moyers Distinguished Professor of Systematic Theology at Union Theological Seminary. In his book, Black Theology and Black Power, originally published in 1969, James Cohn writes this, quote, if the gospel is a gospel of liberation for the oppressed, as you just defined it in their own words, right. if the gospel is a gospel of liberation for the oppressed, then Jesus is where the oppressed are and continues his work of liberation there. Jesus is not safely confined in the first century. He is our contemporary proclaiming release to the captives and rebelling against all who silently accept the structures of injustice. If he, that is Jesus, is not in the ghetto, if he is not where men are living at the brink of existence, but is rather in the easy life of the suburbs, then the gospel is a lie. Wow. Is this not why God became man in Jesus Christ so that man become, may, might become who he is? As long as man is a slave to another power, he is not free to serve God with mature responsibility. He is not free to become what he is, human, unquote. That's Dr. James Cohn from his book, Black Theology and Black Power. Any thoughts, Omaha, on those words from the late James Hal Cohn? Well, I, I, had, I had a lot of thoughts, especially when you, when you were quoting uh, earlier, uh, 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 Kelly Brown, mm -hmm. 
listening to that quote, bro, if I had hair, <laughs> if I had hair, I would want to pull it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has just minimized mm-hmm. what Christ has done on the cross mm-hmm. to something for, the, for her own personal advantage, mm-hmm. to, to, to amplify uh, a, a, her particular ideological position. And, and if you have any love of Christ in you, that should, that should cause you to want to, to, to scratch your skin off mm-hmm. when you hear that kind of uh, diminution, right? Mm-hmm. D- d- just really just lowering the, the bar. Deconstruction. That deconstruction. Totally of what of what Christ has, has done on the cross is just it's absolutely amazing. Let me, let me stick to my notes because I know we only got so much time. <laughs> Apparently, Cone himself, based upon what you just cited as you uh, finished quoting Cone, paid no attention to Scripture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely paid no attention to scripture. Had Cone not held so tightly to seeing scripture through the lens of black liberation theology, he would have understood the story of the woman who anointed Jesus with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment in Mm -hmm. Matthew 26. Mm -hmm. Uh, This might have given him pause regarding his statement. The account in Matthew 26, the disciples are indignant, right? As they're witnessing this this woman uh, pour this alabaster of ointment on, on, on Jesus. They ask this question, why this waste, verse 9, for this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, says to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always will have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. I think those words might wash over us. It might be something that we absolutely ignore Mm -hmm. if we're not uh, careful about that. The text expresses the value of, of the life and death of Jesus and the importance of of the gospel's impact, Mm -hmm. right? Far above the need to eradicate poverty. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the text, the the, the disciples are more concerned about about poverty. This could have been sold for the poor. Mm -hmm. But the reality is what Jesus is doing is amplifying what's more important. I just want to say, man, let me go off script here for a second and say, you know, Judas was the first social justice warrior. (laughs) He really was. He was the first one. Oh, man, we could have sold that oil and taken that money and given it to the poor. Absolutely. He was the first one. Absolutely. It is Jesus himself who is placing the highest value on his death, burial, and resurrection while ignoring for for the time Mm -hmm. the temporal needs of the poor. Let let me say this, and I'll I'll flip it back to you, brother. The greatest need for the poor is not wealth, Mm -hmm. but it is life through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Come on, bro. Come on, man. Come on, bro. You know, before I dive into my next point, I have to say, you know, thinking about how black liberation, liberation theology just total, totally pretzelizes the scripture, right? Totally, by pretzelizing, I mean, it just takes it and twists it like a yes, pretzel. Absolutely. You know, I think about uh, how, these, how Jesus responded to John the Baptist when John the Baptist was undeniably and unarguably imprisoned unjustly. Um, and he, John the Baptist sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, Listen, I just need to know, are you the expected one or or, or are we to wait for someone else? And Jesus sends John the Baptist disciples back to him and say, go and tell John what you have seen, what you have heard. You've seen the blind regain sight. You've seen the deaf hear. You've seen the lame walk. And then lastly, and most importantly, Jesus says, you've seen the poor have had the gospel preached to them. Come on, man, come on. See, but social justice, liberation, Jesus would have said, no, go and tell John 
the, the, the student loans have all been paid off. Everybody has a job. Everybody has a house. Nobody's hungry. Everybody's uh, uh, rent has been paid. See, that's how liberation theology totally twists Jesus and deconstructs him from his divine essence into just basically one of us. Yeah. Um, and you know how when you consider the Christology of people like Kelly Brown Douglas and James Cone, particularly with regard to how that doctrine is examined, that doctrine of Christology is examined and understood within the larger framework of black liberation theology and more specific, the soteriology or the doctrine of salvation that black liberation theology promotes. You know, the question I have is this, why do you need Jesus to accomplish that type of liberation? Right, right. Why do you need Jesus for that? See, I pose the question because the kind of, quote, liberation, unquote, that, and deliverance that, that black liberation theology espouses is always of a temporal and worldly nature. Absolutely. Always. Yeah. You don't need a savior for that kind of liberation. What you need is a social worker. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, 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 that was so nice, bruh. You got to say it twice. If I had my Hammond up here, I would, t I would start tuning. We had tuning. some B3 going up I would here, man. I would tune it up, man. Why do you need Jesus to, think about it. Why do you need Jesus to accomplish the kind of liberation that black the liberation theology aspires to accomplish? Right. And again, I pose the question because that kind of liberation, that kind of deliverance that black liberation theology preaches, you don't need a savior for that. All you need is a social, social worker. You don't need God, all you need is government right. for that. Now, I say that in light of James Cone's own words. Again, quoting from his book, Black Theology and Black Power, James Cone says this, quote, the goal of black theology is to prepare the minds of blacks for freedom so that they will be ready to give all for it. Black theology must speak to and for black people as they seek to remove the structures of white power which hover over their being, stripping it of its blackness. Because black theology has its starting point in the black condition, did you catch that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black theology doesn't even start with the theology. It doesn't even start with God. No. Black theology has its starting point in the black condition. This does not mean that it denies the absolute revelation of God in Christ. Rather, it means that black theology firmly believes that God's revelation in Christ can be made supreme only by affirming Christ as he is alive in black people today. Black theology is Christian theology precisely because it has the black predicament as its point of departure, unquote. Again, that was James Cone from Black Theology and Black Power. Now, notwithstanding the theological dualism that is apparent in those words from Cone, in that on the one hand, Omaha, yes. he asserts that he is not denying, quote, the absolute revelation of God in Christ, unquote, and assuming that by those words, Cone is somehow affirming the deity of Christ, he, on the other hand, and this is where the dualism comes in, he is placing a caveat on that supposed affirmation of Christ's deity by qualifying that affirmation, for lack of a better word, through the ethnic fine print that the, quote, revelation of God in Christ, unquote, can be confessed only within the context of 
affirming Christ as he is alive in black people. But what I don't want people to miss is that phrases like structures of white power, the black condition, and the black predicament are worldly and temporal phrases that speak of a, quote, salvation or a, quote, liberation that is strictly economic and political, or to be even more specific, not spiritual or eternal, but temporal. Because the truth is that the real black predicament is the same predicament Come on. as the predicament Come of on. the image bearer of God Come who on. is white. Come on. It is the same predicament of the image bearer of God who is Hispanic. Come on. It is the same predicament of the image bearer of God who is Asian Come on. or the predicament of the image bearer of God who is Middle Eastern. And that predicament is sin, sin. in the human that's heart. Right. Come that's on, the man. predicament we all face. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Mm. When I, when I think about um, what you just shared, man, I, I just I have to pause and just absorb it. Because what I'm thinking about as I listen to black theology, what I'm beginning to lit hear is that what they really see as sovereign, what they really see as omnipotent is actually whiteness. Right, right. I mean, it, it, for all the black theology, point. for all the black... The Whiteness is supreme. Excellent point. And at the end of the day, I've never in my life given that much power to anyone, regardless of the level of melanin in their skin. Excellent point. Excellent point. Dr. Anthony Bradley, uh, he's an advocate of social justice and critical race theory. In his book, he believes that there's a way to liberate black theology. He wrote, uh, he wrote uh, to such in his book, Liberating Black Theology. It, the book has a lot of things that, that you need to examine closely before reading, but I do believe he gets a, a, a statement regarding the hermeneutic that's used by James Cone. He gets that right. Mm -hmm. And in that, he says this, quote, Cone in his writings remained critical of an orthodox evangelical theology that maintains the infallibility and inerrancy of the scripture. Did you hear that? Let me repeat it. He says, Cone in his writings remained critical of an orthodox evangelical theology that maintains the infallibility and inerrancy of the scriptures and the creator-creature distinction and holds that, scriptures as, that the scriptures as final authority for all matters of faith. They hold, he holds a distinction. In, in other words, what he believes is that uh, with regard to all issues of faith, I don't know that the Bible is such a good thing to hold to. That's Cone's uh, hermeneutical position. Because of those positions, they fail to uncover in the mind of Cone, they fail to uncover issues that are important to the wretchedness of those on the earth. Bradley goes on to write, quote, in the Conian framework, if revelation is not related to black liberation, it has no value and it is to be rejected. Furthermore, in Cone's own words, in his book, A Black Theology of Liberation, he states the following. I want you to listen closely to what James Cone, the father of liberation theology, says about, uh, about the Bible. He says this, contrary to what many conservatives would say, the Bible is not a blueprint on this matter. It is a valuable symbol for pointing to God's revelation in Jesus, but it is not self-interpreting. We are thus placed in an existential situation of freedom in which the burden is on all of us to make decisions without a guaranteed ethical guide. Now, basically what Cone, by extension, Black Liberation Theology is advocating is that you have to throw away your Bible. 
unless it could be used by some black liberation theologian and an abuse of the text of scripture to promote a Marxian form of social justice. If, 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 and in, in the event that someone thinks that I'm exaggerating the Marxian framework for black liberation theology, Cohn tells us such in his own writing. In his book, For My People, Black Theology in the Black Church, he says this, quote, the Christian faith does not possess in its nature the means for analyzing the structure of capitalism. Marxism as a tool of social an, uh, analysis can disclose the gap, uh, the gap between appearance and reality and thereby help Christians to see how things really are. Do you see what, what he's doing? He's saying that, that what we need is an analytical tool. <laughs> right. Uh, to be inserted. And, and, and Marxism is that and analytical Marxism tool. And Marxism is that analytical tool that needs to be used. Let me be clear, those advocating any form of black liberation theology anywhere within evangelicalism, denominations, seminaries, or pulpit, my suggestion is that they abandon Christianity altogether. Man, come on. They need to abandon it because there's, there's nothing Christian about black liberation theology. Thank you, bro. You know, um, Omaha, I want to revisit this matter of the doctrine of salvation for a moment, particularly as that doctrine is viewed through the prism of black liberation theology. And as I do that, I want to suggest that one of, if not the most influential liberation theologian in the world today is a man who hails from right here in Atlanta. Yeah. That person is the Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock. Reverend Warnock is senior pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church here in Atlanta, the same Ebenezer Baptist Church that the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. pastored several decades ago. And in his book titled, The Divided Mind of the Black Church, subtitled Theology, Piety, and Public Witness, Reverend Warnock says this, quote, the sociological evidence suggests that the black church, even while continuing to focus on race and other issues of justice, has in larger measure, in large measure, embraced a bifurcated understanding of salvation that privileges individual souls. Let me pause there, I'm not done with the quote, but this is why Virgil and I spend so much time on the Just Thinking Podcast defining terms. Because what you're hearing here from Dr. Warnock is code for whiteness, white supremacy. When he says that um, um, the black church has embraced a bifurcated understanding of salvation that, quote, privileges individual souls, he's talking about white people. He's talking about white people. He's saying that the gospel does not benefit black people. Exactly what Virgil just read from Dr. James Cone. Let me continue. Continue with uh, Raphael Warnock's quote. Embrace a bifurcated understanding of salvation that privileges individual souls, not seeing the redemption of black bodies. The word bodies is a critical race theory term. Not seeing black bodies and the transformation of the whole of society as central to its vocation as an instrument of God's salvation, unquote. Now, when you, when you stop and consider what Warnock is saying there, Omaha, you come to realize that black liberation theology views the atonement of Christ as incomplete unless it results in, as Warnock said, the, quote, redemption of black bodies and, quote, the transformation of the whole of society, unquote. But notwithstanding Warnock's use of such phraseology as the redemption of black bodies, with, and that language, again, is straight out of critical race theory. 
The transformation of which Warnock is speaking, again, is a temporal, not a spiritual or eternal transformation. And needless to say, that's not the biblical gospel. That's the social gospel of black liberation theology, which again brings to my mind something that I said earlier, Omaha, that you don't need Jesus for that kind of deliverance. Any moralist or any humanist will do. Absolutely, absolutely. What much of evangelicalism, man, has done is that they've actually lost sight of what we're saved Mm -hmm. from. Right? On, the the, on, the, the on, thought about that, it, it, again, the thought is that, that, that we're saved, black bodies are saved, this temporal situation mm-hmm. is saved, uh, and that's what, what Christ was designed to do. He was designed to, to save something temporal for me so that I can make things better in, in the here and now, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what's going mm-hmm. on. But when you examine the scriptures, it's actually clear uh, what salvation is for, mm-hmm. uh, that we're saved from the penalty of our sins against the holy God. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of the, of the text of Scripture in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 18 and following, which read this way in the, in the elect standard <laughs> version of the text. I just want to throw that out there. Elect standard. I got my elect standard in, so. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that men are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. That is exactly what we're Mm -hmm. seeing and experiencing. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. I mean, we're talking about black bodies. We're talking about temporal issues. We've abandoned that which Christ came to do in redeeming mankind, right, and, 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 and being a propitiatory work for those who would come to a knowledge of salvation through the proclamation of the gospel. And what we've done is reduced that work to something that, 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 that gives me a little extra water, yeah. clean, clean water yeah. and, and fresh air right. and, and something that, that helps me stay warm at right. night. Not that those things aren't important, right. but that's not what Christ came to, to deliver us from, right. right? In order to believe that salvation has something to do with our current financial situation, you have to diminish the purpose of the atonement. Again, I don't want to be misheard or misunderstood. God indeed does meet needs. However, He also uses difficult circumstances for the purpose of causing you to rely upon Him as well. See, here's what black theology, black liberation theology forgets. See, black liberation theology forgets that the poor die too. Absolutely, that's right. That's right. The poor die too. Yeah, if salvation is only sufficient for the purpose of the the here and now, what happens to the black theologian after they they die? This is exactly Jesus' point with uh, that response to John the Baptist, that the poor have had the gospel preached Absolutely. to them. Absolutely. Because the poor die too. Yeah. And they're going to spend eternity somewhere as well. Um, you know how listen to the listeners to the Just Thinking podcast will undoubtedly recall my declaration on multiple episodes and occasions that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Christ did not come into the world to save society. Right. He came into this world to save sinners. Now, that reality is what black liberation theology as a theology and black liberationists as adherents to that theology simply refuse to accept. 
Black liberation theology sees Jesus Christ and his gospel as a moralistic, humanistic pathway to achieving socioeconomic equality in this present world, a, quote, salvation that is entirely temporal and materialistic, in which the cross of Jesus Christ is a call to social revolution, not spiritual repentance. Now, I want to again quote Warnock from his book, The Divided Minds of Black Church, in which he says this, quote, a sustained engagement of the biblical witness is, in my view, indispensable to any authentically Christian theology, a theology that illuminates the biblical basis for freedom fighting as the theological core of salvation's work, unquote. Wow. Did wow. you hear that? Wow. So wow. Dr. Raphael Warnock identifies and defines salvation as freedom fighting. So in black liberation theology, it is freedom fighting, not freedom from our enslavement to sin, that is at the core of Christ's salvific work. Warnock couldn't have stated it any clearer than he did right there. In black liberation theology, salvation as a doctrine is inexorably tied to and altogether derived from a theology of black suffrage Come and on. oppression. Come on. An oppression that is the, the result of white supremacy right. and from which black people are never free, not even in Jesus Christ. So why believe in Christ if you're never free? But my question is this, Omaha, where is all this white supremacy anyway? Right, right. I'm, I'm beginning to think that the, the white, the, the black theologian is actually the white supremacist. Oh man, no you didn't. No you didn't say that. That's the, that's the white supremacist. Bro, bro, did you really just say I just that? said it, man, it's You realize there, we gotta man. try to get out of yeah, here. Yeah, we gotta get out, get man, it's all good. Yeah, the, 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 the black liberation theologian is actually the true white supremacist. Noted. I gotta write that down. But that yeah, was... you, I, I was doing this to try to check. <laughs> hey, try putting that on a t-shirt. I'll do that, we'll work that out. <laughs> Again, my question is this, man, where is all this white supremacy? Yes. Where is the objective evidence, see, where's the objective evidence that systematic, systemic oppression of black people exist in America today? Now I ask that question because by definition, and we're all about definitions, by definition, anything that is systemic is everywhere. Yes. It's everywhere. It's unavoidable. It's everywhere. Now I pose that question, where is this oppression? Where is this white supremacy? I pose that question rhetorically because today, the white supremacy of black liberation theologians, and I might add critical race theorists as well, is based largely on the subjective interpretation of socioeconomic statistical variances, or what Raphael Warnock calls sociological evidence between black people and white people, which depending on the statistic and how that statistic is interpreted would, for black liberationists and critical race theorists, validate their assertions that white supremacy is the primary, if not the sole reason why black people in America today do not have equality. And by equality, I mean that black people don't have the same socioeconomic station in life that they assume all white people have simply because they're white. A prime example of this sort of statistical narratology and playing with numbers is the book Divided by Faith. Yes. Which many of you have probably read. Or been told to read. Or been told to read. That book takes statistics 
It takes statistical variances, statistical differences and distinctions and describes them as being disparities. But that's some of the language you have to watch. Not every difference is a disparity. It's simply a difference. But notwithstanding the absurdity of such assumptions as uh, white people, all all white people have this comfortable life just because they're white. (laughs) Notwithstanding that absurdity, the more you study black liberation theology at Omaha, the more you realize that liberation, as it is viewed by people like James Cone, Kelly Brown Douglas, and Raphael Warnock, is always defined, and I mean always defined, in terms of the acquisition of material possessions and political power. Always. I want our listeners to consider that, consider what I just said in light of these words from Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell is senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University, and he says this in his book titled Civil Rights, subtitled Rhetoric or Reality. Quoting Thomas Sowell here. Given the civil rights premise that statistical disparities are moral inequities, and this is what critical race theory argues. Absolutely. It argues that every statistical disparity is a moral inequity. Given the civil rights, the civil rights premise that statistical disparities and moral inequities are caused by social institutions with group characteristics being derivative from the surrounding society, it follows that the solutions are basically political. Right. Changing laws and public perceptions. Political activity thus becomes crucial. This is what Black Lives Matter is all about. Political activity thus becomes crucial, with political here being broadly defined to include courts and administrative agencies as well as legislatures and private institutional activity as well as government policy. As with so many conclusions in this area, the fact that it follows logically from the civil rights vision has largely precluded any, excuse me, any apparent need for empirical verification, unquote. I need to go back and repeat that first section of Sowell's quotes, of quotes, of his quote. Given the civil rights premise that statistical disparities are moral inequities and are caused by social institutions, with group characteristics being derivative from the surrounding society, it follows that the solutions are basically political. Yes. This, is, this is how black liberation theology defines salvation. This is how critical race theory defines equity. What Sowell is saying here, particularly in that last sentence with regard to there not being any apparent need for empirical verification of the assertions that might, that, of the assertions rather that the plight of blacks in America is the fault of moral inequities caused by social institutions that are reflective of the surrounding society, is that there's no need for empirical verification of those accusations because all that matters is the narrative. Right. The narrative is all that matters. Right. In other words, I'm oppressed simply because I say I'm oppressed. Absolutely. And for anyone, especially any white person, to ask me to offer objective proof of my oppression is not only to legitimize my claims of oppression, but also to legitimize his or own racism in that they dare to ask me to prove to them why I'm oppressed. Right. Do you understand that? Yes. This is why Black Lives Matter, after the the Trayvon Martin incident, after the George Floyd incident, you had Black Lives Matter leaders everywhere running for office. Now you have a prominent BLM leader in Cori Bush in Congress right now advocating for uh, moratoriums against um, evictions. Cori Bush is a Marxist. 
She does not believe in private property. So her advocating for endless eviction moratoriums is only a precursor to eliminating private property rights altogether. You have to understand this. Black liberation theology is a political worldview that seeks a political solution. Absolutely. What they've done in that instance is government has become God. Absolutely. Government has Absolutely. become God, and, and that's, the, that's the nature of the business. When speaking of social disparities, which are the fuel for the social justice movement, we have a long history of those who've had a clear view on the, on the impact that social justice actually has. You have men like uh, Frederick Hayek uh, in the, the 1974 Nobel Peace Prize winning economist in his book, Individualism and Economic Order, he said the following, quote, I am certain that nothing has done more to destroy the juridical or legal safeguards of individual freedom as this striving after the miracle of social justice, mm -hmm. end quote. Hayek would go on to write, quote, there's all the difference in the world between treating people equally and attempting to make them equal. Mm -hmm. While the first is a condition of a free society, the second is a means, as de Tocqueville describes it, is a form of servitude, mm -hmm. end quote. Those calling for social justice today have neglected and or ignored the historic impact of social justice on societies. However, modern day social justicians seem undeterred in their efforts to replace equality with equity. Uh, furthermore, modern evangelicalism has followed suit with this embrace of black liberation mm -hmm. theology, and they've done so in their seminaries, mm -hmm. yep. in their denominations, mm -hmm. and in their pulpits. Mm -hmm. You've had folks after the Trayvon Martin issue, after you know what you've seen with the George Floyd issue, folks tripping over themselves, racing to get into the mm -hmm. pulpit to mm -hmm. scream Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter, mm -hmm. right? All the, uh, and when, when the reality is, scripture's been clear mm -hmm. that, that lives have always mm -hmm. mattered, that we are created in the image of God. I could go on and on, but yeah. That just reminds me of, uh, you know, when we released our George Floyd episode um, not long after the George Floyd incident occurred. You and I both, separately and together, had just suddenly, you know, white people come to us asking, well, what do we need to do? Yes. You know, George Floyd died. George Floyd was killed on May 25th, 2020. Yeah. May 25th, 2020. So when a white person comes up to me asking me, I said, well, what, should, what do we need to do to help our black brothers? I'm like, what were you doing on May 24th? You need to keep doing the same thing you're doing on May 24th, 2020. George Floyd, listen, we said, how many of you listened to our George Floyd episode? If you've not listened to that episode, just go out to justthinking.me and look for the uh, Justinging ep um, um, episode on George Floyd on the podcast link. But we said in that episode uh, that our affinity for what happened to George Floyd mm -hmm. begins and ends with the fact that George Floyd was an image bearer of God. Absolutely. He was a fellow image bearer of God. I don't care that George Floyd was black. I do not care. I don't care that Derek Chauvin was white. Derek Chauvin and George Floyd were both fellow image bearers of God. And to whatever extent I'm concerned about the particulars of that incident, which I will obviously not comment on here, my interest begins and ends with the fact that those, both those individuals were image bearers of God. Absolutely. You got anything to say? Yeah, any, I mean, any, any concern that you would have on the basis of, of, of their ethnicity should cause you pause and concern. Absolutely. I mean, if, you're, if your concern is greater or lesser because of someone's melanin in their skin, mm -hmm. you, my, my challenge to you would be you're appealing to sinful partiality. Absolutely. That, that's, Absolutely. The, that's, that's, at, that's at the root cause of what 
what, what's happened. I mean, I, I, I'm tempted to go in a lot of directions, and I'm wanting to try to watch our, our, our time, but, but I'm, I'm thinking about even issues within, within denominations like the SBC and other places and spaces where, where the idea is that black brothers and sisters, given a situation, should be more concerned, or, or we're, we're, concerned, we're more concerned now because someone black died, mm -hmm. or we should be, or we should have the understanding that our black brothers and sisters may be mourned to a greater extent because of some historic systemic oppression mm -hmm. that they have experienced. Right. Well, the, the, no one should mourn any more or less on that basis. Absolutely right. We should all mourn on the basis of the fact that Im an image bearer of God lost their lives. Mm -hmm. That should be the basis, start and stop of all that we are concerned with. And I think our mourning and our lamenting. Yeah, y'all can clap for yeah, that. Yeah, y'all go ahead. Absolutely. And I think that to whatever degree we do mourn and lament, I think that that mourning and lamenting should be augmented by a, an even greater lamenting if that person is unsaved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because now, I don't know the state or condition of George Floyd's heart. I don't know if Breonna Taylor was saved. I don't know if Trayvon Martin was saved. But when we see anything that happens, such as what happened to those individuals, number one, we shouldn't be surprised because as Paul tells us in Romans 8, this entire creation has been subjected to the corruption of sin. This world is populated by almost eight billion sinners. And then number two, we should be immediately concerned about the spiritual condition of that individual. Absolutely. Because once that individual takes his, his or her last breath, it's too late. It's too late for them. Anything else you want to add, Virg, no, before no. I start to close this out? At the end of the day, I just want to say a few things. At the end, at the end of the day, when all has been said and done, black liberation theology is built upon these five heresies. So like a good Calvinist, I have five heresies. You got five heresies, bro? Why am I not surprised? <laughs> black liberation theology is built on at least these following five heresies. Number one, heretical, a heretical theology that views God through the lens of skin color. Number two, a heretical Christology, which views Christ as a socio-political liberator of black people than a, rather than a divine redeemer of sinners of every ethnicity. Number three, a heretical homardiology, in that sin is imparted only to certain image bearers of God based solely on a God-ordained characteristic of their personhood, namely their skin color. Number four, a heretical soteriology, in that black liberation theology diminishes the salvific purpose and work of Christ on the cross to merely works-based humanism, which is self-salvation. Yes. And then lastly, number five, a heretical eschatology, in that it seeks to bring to fruition a new world in the here and now, an idea that is clearly antithetical to what is taught in 2 Peter 3.13, that says, but according to his promise, we, that is believers, the church, are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Come on, somebody. You want to close this out, bro? Yeah, I definitely will. I'd be remiss if I didn't stop and, again, thank all of our listeners and, and those who are connected with us uh, through the Just Thinking podcast. If you're new to Just Thinking, check us out at justthinking.me, justthinking Dot me. I also want to address one other thing as we close, and that's this. Why would we bring, and you might want to chime in, we've got a, we've got a handful of minutes that we might steal back. Um, why would we bring a topic like this to a G3 conference about Christ? 
Uh, and as I gave that quite a bit of thought, I, I realized and recognized a couple of things, and, and that's this. Number one, there are false Christs mm -hmm. out in the culture everywhere. As Christ himself said there would be. Absolutely. In fact, you took the words right out of my mouth as I, as I pulled up while we were talking Matthew 24, verses 3 and following. They read this way. As he sat at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. Listen closely. See that no one leads you astray. Verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. You will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be fam famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are but the beginning of birth pains. He goes on to warn about the false Christ who come. And what we're seeing in our culture, and unfortunately, in much of evangelicalism is this embrace mm -hmm. of a false Christ. So I think it was important for us here at the, mm -hmm. at the, at the conference, mm -hmm. at the G3 2021 National G3 Conference, to, to expose and explain the false Christ mm -hmm. of black liberation theology as it's done its job permeating uh, the, the different areas of evangelicalism. But it's with that that we have to lift up the true Christ. Amen, brother. The true Amen. Christ and what Amen, he came brother. to do and, and that, that he lived a perfect life and died a death that he did not deserve, that, that you and I would have the opportunity if we would but repent of our sin and place our faith in him to experience eternal life. This is about the gospel. This is about life and death. If you're here and you're under the sound of my voice and you have not repented of your sin and placed your faith in the true Christ, the Christ who died for you, we would encourage you to do so even now. Anything else before I close? Real quickly, Verge, as you talk about this being about life and death, I'm just, I just want to reiterate something that I said earlier, uh, that Christ came to save sinners. He didn't come to save society. Black liberation theology has that totally flip, has that totally flip. Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you that there you may be with me. That he said that that place is there means that that place is not here. That's good. That's good. That place is not here. It's there. Let's close out with a word of prayer. Father God, we just give you thanks and praise for, the, for your truth, for the fact that, uh, that Christ came, he lived a perfect life, he died a death that he did not deserve on a Roman cross. So that whoever would believe in him, would repent of your sin, place their faith in him, would not perish, but would have eternal life. My prayer would be that as we continue this time together, as we lift up the name of Christ, that we would exalt the true Christ, the Christ who died and rose again, the, the true Christ, the Christ who paid the, the price that we could not pay, died the death that we indeed deserved. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor due your name. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming out. We Thanks for coming it. out. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast.